Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. This beautiful Thursday morning, and we are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month this month. And we have Pablo De Filippi on. He is the Senior Vice President at Inclusi. That is a national nonprofit association of more than 400 credit unions and CDFIs. Pablo is from Chile. He has 20 years of experience in finance and financial inclusion. He works with financial institutions both domestically and in the international arena. He's implemented, promoted, or scaled several important initiatives aimed to expanding access to affordable, responsible, and sustainable solutions to the financial needs of low and moderate income communities. Good morning, Pablo. Vernon, good morning. Fantastic. Thank you for having me here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being here this morning. And how are you today? I'm great. It's a rainy day here in Madison, Wisconsin, but it's still a great day to be alive. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you for being on the show this morning. Can you tell me... You're working with credit unions. Credit unions are a co-op. Um, how did you get into this business? It was all an accident. Uh, so you mentioned that I'm from Chile. I was raised and born in Santiago, Chile. Came to the States in the mid-90s. I was 25. And my dad actually was member of... Um, small credit union called the Lower East Side People's Federal Credit Union in New York City. So we arrived on a Saturday and on a Monday morning, the first Monday, we were at the credit union opening an account. Hmm. That was my first, you know, interaction with a financial co-op. I didn't know even that it was a co-op. It was El Banquito de la Esquina, right? Yes, the little bank around the corner. And I did not have a clue of what that, you know, action would represent for my life. 25 years old, getting to New York on the east side, lower east side, Manhattan. Lower east side, yep. And your father, on the first work day he's here, goes and opens up the credit union account. Exactly. In a little bitty credit union, <laughs> poquito. <laughs> okay. Small but mighty, and and that's really you know where we can talk about you know how cops can be an amazing way to empower people, particularly minority populations. Okay, before we get to the mighty part of it, 
Uh, mm -hmm. You came here at 25 years old. Did you speak English when you got here? Un poquito. Un poquito. Yes, um, yes, enough to not to be understood at all. Not to be understood. So it was, <laughs> it was very challenging, frustrating, of course. But you have to do what you have to do. And I follow my family's lead. My dad actually had lived in this country, you know, for years before we came. And he lived uh, for many years. Um, actually, he passed away 10 years ago. Oh, and he never that. really was able to master the language, okay. you know. So he lived in, you know, in this... I don't want to say a ghetto, but, you know, his experience was more limited just because of the language barrier. So you said you live in a ghetto? Well, I don't want to say that in, 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 it's an expression to say that his experience was more, more limited because he couldn't really interact with some of the opportunities that, you know, this country is supposed to be known for. Supposed to be known for. All right. I like that. So I lived five years in Puerto Rico. I did not learn the language. I knew enough not to be understood also and, and get my feelings hurt when I would try. But um, so I get that. I understand. And I also understand what it's like to live in another culture where it's a different language. And you want to belong. You, you want to be a part of it. So I'm glad you were able to. I hear just a un poquito amount of, of uh accent in your voice that so you you captured it so let's talk about oh, oh, that, but that accent is because i've lived in the midwest for such a long time so i apologize for that <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay so at 25 what kind of education had you had before you got here i was a teacher like you were high school teacher in the inner city in santiago an amazing experience taught me a lot I thought I was the teacher, but I learned so much from my students and their communities. And that gave me some of the tools that I've been able to use in my career here in the U.S. Well, congratulations. That says you had education to be a teacher, a formal education. But what I'm getting to is, did you learn anything about co-opting your formal education? Because I did not. So let me give you some context. Okay. I lived in Chile for most of my, you know, kind of conscious life in Chile was under a dictatorship. Uh, we had a military coup in Chile in 1973. We did have, before that coup, we had a pretty extensive cooperative system that was wiped out completely. So the, the word cooperativa in Chile would mean jail. Um, yeah. so, I, you know, I was not aware whatsoever of what uh, a cooperative business was all about. And that was one of my first kind of, you know, wake up calls because from the outside, you know, the U.S. is known for like, this is the land of the self-made man, you know, this mm. is the land of capitalism. Mm. And then you come here and you find, you discover this amazing network of cooperative businesses, you know, and you're, how is this possible? It's such a contradiction that we have this here when, you know, from the outside, the characterization of this country is that it's all about corporations and yes, you know, that it's all about the person, the individual, not so, the community. So I got it. I just summarize it. We call it, I call it the John Wayne syndrome because in all of his movies, he was the guy. He did everything. 
yes. not taken into consideration when it was a war movie. He had a lot of people behind him. He didn't do anything. Even if it was a cowboy and western, and there was always other people that were there working for him. But it was always pictured that he was mm-hmm. the guy. He did it. The John Wayne syndrome, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of stuff. And you say, yep. I don't have any boots. How can I pick myself up by my own bootstraps? But if we put our pennies together, we can buy somebody a pair of boots, and then we all work together and buy somebody else a pair of boots. By working together, we can overcome the poverty that we find ourselves in, whether you call it a ghetto or in Bluefield. I was on top of a mountain. That's where I grew up. I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia. Poor mm-hmm. blacks, poor whites, we all you know together. But we didn't work together uh, for the most part. So, yeah, I got it. Okay, sir, you did not learn about co-ops in Chile, there was a dictator, the word cooperativo would have been go to jail. So it wasn't that bad here, but it seemed like it was almost that bad. It was stipend. And I've heard some reasons why. But at any rate, I didn't learn anything about it. And I have, uh, you know, undergrad degree, the master's in math and an MBA. I never heard anything about cooperativos. Nada. I only heard about it when I started managing housing co-ops. And I mm-hmm. fell in love with them when I saw everyday people making very intelligent decisions, sometimes at best a high school degree, formal education, very smart. More often than not, women, black women in Washington, D.C., really, really making great decisions, running a business, holding each other accountable. Loved it. So your ed- education, you had education, you were able to teach. You, as I, learned a lot from our students, uh, learned a lot by trying to figure out how to get it across to them, came to New York, live in Lower East Side, and your father went into the credit union the first day of business and opened up account. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So now from there, how did you start working in co-ops? So my dad took us to open an account because he was already a member of the credit union. This credit union, the Lower East Side People's, um, federal Credit Union is really iconic. Um, it was the first instance where a bank, um, Manufacturers Hanover at the time, was sued by the community because they had decided to shut down the only branch they have in the Lower East Side community. So the community rallied behind the idea that, well, you cannot leave us what's going to happen to us, we don't have any access. And this is, a, you know, back then was a community of 80,000 people. I mean, this is in the center of the universe, you know, two miles away from Wall Street, Vernon, you mm-hmm. know. And they were being shut down from the financial mainstream. Yes, because this bank decided that this community was too poor. They couldn't serve it. Now, this is the the funny thing, right, is that, they had deposits from the community, 25 million. Uh, so the community wasn't that poor after all. It was poor in the sense that they didn't want to lend to the community. Yep. And you can't, they can't, banks cannot make money unless they lend it and, and, and get interest. But if they don't want to lend because you are brown people and therefore everybody knows black and brown people don't pay back their loans. I mean, of that's course. Not, that's not the, but that's what they believe. But the real thing is, Banks are only interested in one thing. Well, their first three priorities are getting their money back, getting their money back, and getting their money back. That's what I learned in school. And the only way they are loaned to people is already have other assets. So you have to have other assets before they are loaned to you. 
And if you all came here from Chile, you don't have real estate or businesses or stocks or bonds. You have no assets, so they won't loan to you. They, so they get your deposits, but they can't make any loans. They can't make any money. Got it. We're going to take our first break. We'll be right back. I really want to get more into these 400 credit unions that you guys work with and low and moderate income communities and the purposes of them. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Welcome back, everybody. WL makes a great partner because their motto is information is power. And the National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program to give you information about co-ops. If you take this information, it only becomes power if you take it and use it. So if you take this information that Pablo is giving us today and use it, go to your credit union, join a credit union, start a credit union if you're in a community, get into a credit union, get on their board, become active, and provide the different kinds of loans that your community needs. That's what makes credit unions so great. At least that's my experience, and Pablo's going to tell us his experience. So, Pablo, I said when we come back, I want to talk about the 400 credit unions and what's the the niche for these credit unions that belong to in- inclusive. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Vernon. So the the U.S. has more than 5,000 credit unions, so there's a huge uh, financial cooperative system here. By the way, in Puerto Rico, there's also a pretty strong uh, financial cooperative system um, that serves, you know, a million people here in the U.S. Credit unions serve over 150 million consumers, so it's a big, you know, part of the financial system ecosystem, I guess. Many of these credit unions are low-income designated, meaning that most of the members they serve are either low-income or live in low-income census tracts. So that on itself tells you that as a system, credit unions are serving a segment of the population that is not served by mainstream financial institutions, right? Now, within that, you know, um, landscape, we work with, you know, a segment of institutions that are what we call community development credit unions. And those are institutions that are looking at uh, serving the community, not only from the consumer's perspective, but also looking at, you know, the micro and small business owners. They're looking at, you know, affordable housing opportunities, so our network has around actually over 400 um, community development credit unions. They are CBF5 certified, which is um, a certification by the U.S. Treasury Department. That means that they are serving or actually deploying 60% of, of, of the lending in target populations and communities. 60% of their loans of their lending, yes. Of their lending is for low-income populations. I, the question I was talking about earlier uh, with banks, and this is the – I thought I was going to be a banker or an accountant when I was in graduate school for my uh, business because I figure out bankers, they, they handle money, and they seem like they were able to figure out how to keep some of it, not stealing, but how to invest it or how to do things to keep money, uh, to make money. But – they would not loan to low-income folks for the reason that I just said, both racism and there was no no assets. 
But how do you all make the loans then if there's still no assets? And how do you make loans to co-ops because there's no individual that you can attach it to? There's a, there's a group of people that own it. So a um, couple of things. Number one is that this misconception that low-income people don't have assets. There is money in low-income communities, right? So that's number one. Uh, that money oftentimes is liquid, right? It's cash, but there is money, and um, there are assets in these communities. And the issue is more than anything for a financial institution to really understand um, how to mitigate those perceived risks in these communities. Our members are able to deploy 60%, and that's the floor, 60% of their loans in these targeted uh, markets because they have built a business model that, that is built on financial inclusion, built on understanding that lending, you know, can be, can go deeper in communities and it, it can have a much bigger impact. And to understand that, that, you know, a car loan is not just a car loan for people to go on a nice trip. In many communities, you don't have a car, you don't have a job. So let's really think about that, you know, that these are tools and these tools have been left out of reach for so many. I mean, one of the the things that I was really blown away, you know, when I came to this country and it still, it still hurts is to see how many people are outside the financial mainstream. You know, uh, the FDIC does a survey every, every two years and, you know, it's, we're talking about millions of people, you know, you know, 40 million people who aren't banked, 70 million people who are underbanked, and then you have mo more than 100 million who have, uh, you know, issues with their credit scores, you know, and therefore are deemed to be unbankable or not credit worth it. How, how many uh, were that not, not over 100 million who are in that situation. And then if you add all the issues around, you know, the pandemic and, you know, systemic racism, you have a lot of people who are subject to income volatility. So all these factors, you know, mean that people don't fit in the box anymore, in the lending box, right? So we have as, you know, credit unions, especially if we are serving these communities, we have to understand to change that credit box so we can get people in, not leave them out. And that's really what makes these institutions that work in our network so critically important. This is fascinating, Pablo. So you, you had just said that uh, the credit union have 150 million. I have the U.S. population is about 340 million. So that's 45 percent of the population belongs to credit unions. Now, that 45%, if most of those are adults, it may be a higher amount of percentage of the adults are in credit unions. And you got 40 million unbanked. That means that they don't have checking account. They don't have a deposit. They might go to one of these uh, instant credit or check cashing places, and they, they may pay 400% interest off their money to, to do this. And so they're constantly poor, constantly losing out, losing income as opposed to gaining and increasing. So you have all of this stuff against the poor, all of this stuff that you just talked about, unbanked, underbanked, huge credit score. Because if you don't have a lot of income, you may not pay your phone bill in time. 
or your cable bill in time or all of those things. And so, therefore, it's amazing to me. I think the credit score is another conversation one day, Pablo. But I yes. have it that the credit score is racist itself. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's sounds Yes, it, absolutely. It, 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 it's, it's, it's totally against somebody that's poor. Uh, I have had an 800 credit score. I get one ding. I'm late 30 days, and it'll drop at 150 points. And I said, of all of the things, and that's when I started watching it. And as I said, I was a property manager managing housing co-ops. It was amazing to me. Somebody come in with no credit. They pay everything on time, and they got a 450 or 550 credit score. I'm saying, you, in my mind, you got an 850. You're the highest credit person I want to talk to. you living life with no credit. I love you. Let's, and you pay your rent on time. So, yeah, the credit score is, is, is against poor people black, brown, native people, and the whole credit system. So now you come in, you, credit unions, and you have a, you change the box. Can you tell me what is in your box? If I come in and I make 15 bucks an hour and I want to borrow money to buy a five-year-old car, because I'm, I'm also, I go out and I, home health care, so I've got to be able to drive to get to these homes because I go to, three different homes a week. So I need a car for my work. How do how do 18 bucks an hour say? Cuz I'm in a yeah, co-op, I mean, I'm in a co-op home health care. So I pay a little bit more. So we have um we have um creators that have specific programs that are called wheels to work type of programs where it's not just about the financing. So let's just examine this issue specifically, right? So this is the issue with car with used car buying. It's not just that you don't have the financing to get it at an affordable rate. It's also that the options to buy those cars are so limited that you're likely to be in a bad situation where you're sold a car that is not a good vehicle that will break down. So this is the issue, right? So you, you know, okay, hold, don't hold, 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 hold a bit, Papa. So you're in a bad situation because you don't have the money. You can go out and get a loan, and you get scammed. Okay, <laughs> exactly, you get scammed. exactly. Okay. Not only that, but then you get penalized because you know the car breaks down, and then you cannot go to work. You lose your job, and what happens? You can't pay the loan back. And why would you pay it back if the car broke down? <laughs> it's a trap. Right. It's a vicious, vicious, terrible psycho trap. Okay. Yes. And then we and then we blame low income people for being poor when we don't act, understand that it's about the tools that they have access to. And that's why financial services are so important. This is not a matter of just, you know, convenience. It's a matter of asset building. It's a matter of access. Okay, so we're going to take our second break, and I really want to come back and talk about this access and and what what is this wheels to work program, and we'll get into other different programs and how it happens that it happens for in co-ops as opposed to in the regular banking institution, the regular financial institution that America has grown up with. Listen, anybody out there, go join a credit union. Go join a credit union. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody. This is Brian Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. You know, this is our eighth year, Pablo. We've been on this October. We're celebrating eight eight years on the air, talking about co-ops. And it's my absolute pleasure to do that. And the National Cooperative Bank has been with us every step of the way. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And it sounds like that's the same thing that Inclusive does with its 404-member cooperatives. So I would also imagine, Pablo, that you guys work with NCB in some kind of capacity. Is that right? Absolutely. And first of all, congratulations, Vernon. Eight years. That's fantastic. I think one of the challenges of cooperatives is that we don't talk to each other. We have to do more of that. And yes, NCB um, has been an amazing partner of Inclusive. We've done a lot of work around injecting um, capital into mission-driven credit unions. They also helped us in a uh, initiative in Puerto Rico that we started in, in 2018 that has resulted in more than $60 million in resources going to financial co-ops in the island. Fantastic. So now I want to get back to, we were talking about wills to, to work and any other programs that's aimed at helping everyday low-income, perhaps even poverty people uh, get advanced. Can you tell me more about that and how you changed the box for um, financial? So technology has been a big, you know, uh, enabler of inclusion and also the biggest disenabler of inclusion um, because, you know, lending decisions has been pushed to algorithms that make things, you know, black or white, right? Either you fit in the box or you don't. And a lot of that is driven, driven by credit scores. So our members, especially those that are doing this type of programs where, you know, let's just innovate here. And part of the innovation is really kind of go back to basis, right? You know, I, I talk about like getting back to the future in the sense that, that sometimes, you know, complexity is the enemy of good. Um, mm -hmm. We can simpler and at the same time more accessible. And part of this is just having this, you know, kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations with borrowers, understanding their situation, you know, looking at, you know, the, the context of the communities where they live and not just, you know, assigning uh, risk just because you don't know these people. And, and let's talk about risk because... Who designs these programs? You know, these programs, these tools are designed by people who've never been on the other side of the of the equation. Right? Okay, who've I, never I, I, been? Go, go ahead. Who've never been? You know, in need or denied of a loan. So. Oh wait a minute. Okay, so, so let me make sure I get this because I, I mm -hmm. I got the equation and I'm not clear on it. Mm -hmm. So people in. Financial institutions, banks that are normal are designing programs and they have never had bad credit or they have never been denied a loan. And so they design their loans for buying computers, buying cars, buying houses for people like themselves. Exactly. Okay, got you. Now. Exactly. Okay. okay. That's where racial, you know, systemic racism comes into place here because 
because you know if the systems are not really designed with you know the populations that have been left out then how are they going to really meet their needs they don't right and that's why we have if you look at who's unbanked or who's an underbanked in the US they're going to be predominantly minority people right you know blacks latinos native americans immigrants you know so we're casting away a huge segment of our society just because they don't fit these traditional you know uh, underwriting systems and we have proven vernon that this is possible that you know a Canadian can in fact not only go deeper in communities but by doing so increase their impact but also even become more profitable you know and this is not an either or question there's you know a clear mandate that we have to be sustainable but there's no contradiction contradiction between being sustainable and also responsible oh. to the consumer we want to build wealth in our communities you know and that's why credit unions and co-ops in general are such an important part of the solution because we are not isolated from communities where we operate our future depends on the future of those communities so we're not going to do like what that bank did you know okay I'm, i can't make money here i'm going to just close down this branch if we cannot close down a branch because if we do we're out of business so our destiny is connected with the destiny of that community and therefore you must create products loans that meet the needs of those community members who may or may not have you said they may have income as a as um as an asset but they may not have a balance sheet that has stocks bonds and real estate may not own a home may not have the stuff that the normal institutions look for because they want it yes they're only interested in one thing getting their money back getting their money back and getting their money back so they look for the things that they produce, you say the people that make up these products are people who have never had a bad credit score and never uh, been denied a loan. So they don't even understand it. And therefore, they won't create products that help our community, our people. Yeah, I got it. It's cool. It's neat. Because I've always wondered how you are able to do that and be very, very successful. Oh. It's possible. Um, and, and it's not just one example. You know, that tiny credit unit that I mentioned at the beginning, you know, it's now a $100 million operation. So $100 million in New York City still makes you a tiny speck in the financial system universe. But, you know, think about this. This is an institution that, against all odds, has not only survived, but has grown, has driven, and has, you know, empowered residents of that community to stay in that community. If anyone has been to the lower east side of Manhattan over the last 20 years, you can see that community has gentrified tremendously. So what means is that people get pushed out. Mm -hmm. So having access to a financial institution that is supporting you, that has your back, gives you that ability to stay, to stay and to claim and reclaim that ownership. I mean, we've built these communities, and now that they become trendy, we can live in them anymore, anymore because we can afford them? Yep. Come yep. on. Yep. 
Same thing happened in Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, D.C., where my home is right now. But there's a group in L.A. called uh, Downtown Crenshaw. They're trying to buy a 43-acre mall. They call it 40 acres in a mall as opposed to 40 acres in a mew. And they're having a lot of difficulty doing it because they're concerned about gentrification and all of that does. And they can get in there with credit unions, with affordable, low-equity housing. They can own that community and grow that community and not be pushed out. So that's what they're in the process of doing. Love what you guys are doing, man. Love what you're doing. How does one find a credit union in their neighborhood um, to join? Well, I mean, there's different ways of doing this. You can go to the NCUA. NCUA is the uh, federal regulator for credit unions. You know, they have a credit union finder function, and you can find a credit union in your community. Um, I think that people have to do a little bit of a homework, you know, so if any credit union is definitely better than any banks, okay, let's just put it out there. But then, you know, depending on who, on where your community is, you know, you're going to be a little bit more intentional. Find an institution that is more immersed into community development, right? So you look for a CDFI certified credit union or for a community development credit union, and you can come to our website and you, you'll find them there. Or even Nerd Wallet now has a function where you can find mission-driven financial institutions, and you will find um, trade unions that are um, doing this work in your community. If you are an immigrant, a Latino person who doesn't have access to any big services because, you know, banks, you know, ask for documentation that oftentimes immigrants cannot produce, you know, it has to be, uh, as you know, um, a U.S. government issue ID, which is not really a mandate from any rules, in any case, you know, you can go to a, to a Juntos Avanzamos designated credit union, and that's a designation that Inclusive has been providing for the last five years and basically signifies that that institution is um, willing and able to meet the needs of Latino consumers. Just go to juntosavanzamos.org and you, and you can find the list in there. So what, Juntos what now? Juntos what? what Juntos Avanzamos. J-U-N-T-O-S-A-V-A-N-Z-A-M-O-S. Yes, exactly. Dot org? Dot org. And then you can find a credit union that... That speaks your language. Serves and empowers Hispanic consumers. Yes. I'm looking at it on your website, and your website is inclusive. That's inclusive, everything but the E, I-N-C-L-U-S-I-V dot O-R-G, inclusive. And you can look under initiatives, and you look under initiatives, the first one that pops up is Juntas Avanzamos. What does that mean in English? Uh, Together we advance. Together we advance. And then there's Pathways is an initiative. I like the inclusive black communities. There's the the initiative in Puerto Rico. Uh, Rising Financial Center in in um, Atlanta. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And you talked about inclusive technology for increasing and enhancing technology. Okay. What is that a technology for the consumer? What kind of technology you have for the consumer? So, again, if we go back to this conversation around who develops these tools, we're looking for technology solutions that don't 
discriminate against, you know, color people, against people who don't have a clear history, against people who don't have a relationship with a financial institution. And so that's why at the beginning of the conversation, Vernon, I said that technology has been an amazing enabler, but also has been a big obstacle. I look at fintech and everyone is thinking this is the solution. And fintech is not a solution. It's another tool that can be used for good or for bad. And let's just talk about Facebook, right? <laughs> mm. Yes. Yes. Okay. We were talking about wills to work. I love it. Wills to work. I'd like for you to think about other programs that credit unions provide for folks to help them to get whether or not it is an, a, a, a checking account or a loan yeah. or totally. so a savings on, on account, the- borrow for housing, all of these things. We only have a minute to go before our break, so we may want to get started and we have to cut it off and get it on the other side. Yes. So on the checking account side, many creditors have second chance accounts and that allow for people to open accounts even if they have you know, records that they haven't, you know, properly used their checking accounts with other institutions. And let me just say something about that. I believe that some of those check systems that financial institutions use, again, are designed, you know, by people who've never been in these situations. A lot of people in low-income communities have issues with health. We'll be right back that. A lot of people have health, and that ends up affecting their credit and their credit accounts. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Program is Everything Co-op, and this is the f- October. This is our first show this October, and I've already said this is Hispanic Heritage Month. And Pablo Felipe, De Felipe, is on the show representing Hispanics. He's from Chile. And he's done a lot of work. And when he came here, he spoke very little English. Father never learned the language. This is also the eighth anniversary of the show. We were only going to do it for one month, Pablo. But I enjoy it and everybody enjoys that's been on the show. We've had a lot of cooperators on the show in these eight years. This is also co-op month. We were only going to do it for the month uh, that eight years ago for co-op month. This month. NCBA has the Co-op Impact Conference, which is going on right now, and yours truly has been a moderator of a couple panels. One is today at 1.30. It's called um, Reimagine Cooperative Appalachia. I'm from West Virginia, which is a part of Appalachia, and getting co-ops to come in and help poor folk in Appalachia. And um, it's my birthday. Today is my birthday, Pablo, so I really enjoy October. Co-ops and Vernon's birthday. So thank you for being on on my birthday, Pablo. Oh my God, Vernon! What an honor! Feliz cumpleaños! Happy birthday! It's wow! Talk about dedication, right? Um, so you're really a, a, an amazing example for everyone, right? I mean, you're working here today on your birthday. But you're right. I think that the context of this, you know, month is incredible. You know, um, the cooperative um, movement really celebrating this, you know, gathering in Washington, D.C., 
you know, NCBA, it's a company, it's an organization that actually I worked for many years ago. Uh, I love what they do. And I, I think that we need to integrate more the different cooperative sectors. Uh, I think that we don't speak to each other enough. We have to do more of that. And this program, what you're doing, Vernon, helps do that. You know, we need to connect the dots. And that's, you know, an important part of the work. So congratulations both on the anniversary of the show, on your birthday, and also um, great that is Hispanic Heritage Month. It's an important thing for us in Latinos and Hispanics, although I really believe that we shouldn't be celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month or Black History Month. You know, this should be the whole year, right? I mean, we are, we are this country. You know, yeah. I don't live here only one month out of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, same thing. November, we're going to celebrate Native American Month. Females are in March, uh, Women's History Month. So, yeah, it ought to be all year long. And this is what I have that you all do at Inclusive. You are celebrating those 404 co-ops that are looking for in ways of impacting uh, low and moderate income communities, and I love it. Now, if you want to know about how you get information about this impact conference, go to ncba.coop, and right at the top you can uh, hit uh, Cooperative Impact Conference and get all of the information about it. It's very inexpensive. It's all virtual. You don't have to worry about COVID. Although today, uh, today and tomorrow they are having some live pieces at the National Press Club some live events. Representative Vilsap, Secretary of Ag, will be on Friday morning with Cornelius Blanding, the Executive Director of the Federation of Southern Co-ops, which are a lot of black co-ops in the South, 13 states in the South, that came together in 1967, Pablo, to to fight racism mainly and to put their you know tools together and work together and then the, the created financial wealth is what you guys are doing also. I ask you to come back and talk about some of the programs that you're doing, and you talked about checking accounts and people having poor health. Yeah, so, you know, systems are designed to track, you know, failures, right? And they don't really track the context of those failures. So in low-income communities, People run into health issues, you know, you don't have health insurance, so what do you do? You go to a hospital, and then you get a bill that is overpriced because the financial, because the health system in this country doesn't work, and then you can pay it, right? So what happens, you know, that gets on your record, which means that you cannot open a checking account anymore, you cannot have access to credit because that's on your record. So, again, we were talking about penalizing people for being poor, penalizing people for not having the tools. And I shouldn't say that everyone runs into the same problems, but, you know, it's a big factor in low-income communities, you know, not having access to health, and that will impact their ability to access credit in their lives and will make it more expensive, you know, Vernon, you talked about people having to use the cashier places to, you know, get their, their, their paychecks. You know that a person who does that every two weeks will pay over $1,000 a year just for cashing their check. 
products. Yeah. And then they have to pay bills, right? So they're going to have to buy a money order or something else. That's going to be another thousand bucks just to pay your bills. And, and these are things that most of us do without any cost. But if you're poor, if you're in a credit, you, you have to pay. If you're in a right, credit, exactly. You don't. You don't. You There's don't have no, to pay for not it. a cost. That's right. Yeah. You know, you have a, the access to the checking account, and you can pay your bills. You know, online. So this is an issue. It's not just about convenience. It's about preserving wealth in these communities. Payday lenders and check cash places are not just the mom and pop shops that sometimes you know their lobbies like us to tell us they are corporations that have built up you know these stores all over the country especially in low-income minority communities well, and that's extract, where they are that's where they are yes they extract wealth from our communities and then these communities are poorer because of that so we you know Canadians and cops have an obligation and also an opportunity to step in and to make sure that we are providing that access and that we're giving people those tools that they need to function in society. In society. Obligation and opportunity. I love it. Yes. Credit unions have that. Now, I have it that credit unions, being a co-op, it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products. So the credit union, that little credit union that your father joined, you took you down the first day you got back, was owned and controlled by the members. The members owned that. Your father, as owning a credit account, was one of the members. And he had the ability, as you did when you joined it, to vote on the board, who was going to be on the board. And the board made the policies so that the, the consumer, the person that uses that product, are the ones that eventually makes the products. And, Pablo, you could have run for the board, and so could your father have. This is what makes it to me the credit the credit unions and the co-ops is so, so important and vital because they are not only there for the community and have the opportunity and obligation to support their community, but it's owned by the community. It's run by the community. They set the policies up. So they're not profit motive. I have it that cooperations, the ones that I learned about at Stanford for my MBA, were interested in three things that starts with a P. Profit, 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 where co-ops are interested in three things, people, planet, and profit. Profit third, they're interested in people first, the consumer, the community, producing products that satisfy those communities, and that's what makes them so important. And I love the stories that you're telling us about what co-ops, credit unions are doing. Now, I need you to go back one more time and tell people how to get to your your website, to get to particular Latino Americans, this is Hispanic Heritage Month. How do you tell Hispanic folks how to find a credit union? Well, yes. So you you can go to our juntosavanzamos.org website. We have a listing of credit unions that are certified to serve the Hispanic community. It's not an all-inclusive list. I want to be frank. Uh, there are many credit unions out there that have understood the opportunity and at the same time, the responsibility of serving new Americans. Uh, in fact, let me just tell you a funny fact. Do you know that the first credit union in the U.S. was established by French Canadian immigrants that came to New Hampshire? It was called 
St. Mary's Bank. And the reason it was established is because these French Canadian immigrants didn't have access to banking services. Yep. So this is part of our DNA. Yep. What would you like to leave people with? We only have about a minute left. What's the message? The message is that we need to act together. We should be working more closely together. Uh, Cops are unfortunately still a hidden secret. Um, we need to be proud of it. We need to find more visibility. We need to cooperate more. But the most important thing, in my opinion, is that we have to do something today. So contact a credit union, come to our website, let's do something together. Fantastic. Like the program says, juntos avanzamos, together we advance. Together we advance. I love it. And I want to tell you, uh, I know you got this program in Puerto Rico. I lived there five years, so maybe we can get together, you and I, and go to Puerto Rico and figure out, go go do the south or something someplace. But I look forward to talking to you. Look forward to meeting you, and thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you, Vernon. Really appreciate it. And happy birthday again. Thank you, sir. And everybody else out there, live cooperatively. We'll see you next Thursday. Thank you.